0: Now, maybe you're in this predicament where you're cool enough to like the World Cup, but you're also cool enough to not have a TV. Ever have that problem? Okay. And you're way too cool to order cable. So, so then you're really, in a, you're really in a predicament. You're so international, but yet you don't want to order cable. So um, uh, anyway, this puts you in a situation, puts me in a situation, where, like, you need to find a place to watch the World Cup. Um, and uh, to congregate, uh, to cheer with other people. Um, So four years ago, uh, in 2010, when the World Cup was in South Africa, there was a graduate student at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia, uh, and she had found the perfect place to watch the World Cup. Her name was Janina, and uh, she had come to James Madison University uh, from Bolivia, uh, on a Fulbright scholarship. Um, so she was studying international affairs and um, was in a foreign foreign land doing that. And she found a, a restaurant near the university called A Bowl of Good, A Bowl of Good. If, you ever, if you've ever gone to takethemameals.com and ordered food from there to be sent, you just pay the money and have it sent. It, it comes from this restaurant. Um, and it's a r- truly amazing place because they s- I've been there a couple times. They serve delicious international food, and they also do so in an environmentally sustainable way. They pay um, the farmers fair wage for the food, and they're just very, very intentional about building a restaurant that's, that's beautiful and international. And so uh, one of the creative things that they do is they uh, play the World Cup and they match their dishes to the teams that are playing, the countries that are playing. And so our graduate student, Janina, had had found uh, this place to order, you know, affordable, delicious international food and watch the World Cup. And you know what? She was lonely. She had no family nearby and very few friends, no support network. She was very alone and... Um, no local support, and so she kept coming to to a bowl of good again and again, and the owners, Ernie and Katrina uh, Dito, noticed her, and and they began to talk with her and um, befriended her and realized she had no family and she had no support network uh, in the area, and she was very, very isolated. Now, Ernie and Katrina were at the time helping to launch an Anglican Church, near James Madison University in downtown Harrisonburg. So they were on the launch team. And like the launch team here last summer, this was a launch team that threw a lot of parties. And so they invited her to one of the parties. And they had at this point asked her, uh, they they realized that she had no place to live. Uh, After a certain point, her her university lease was up and she was going to have to find a place to live. They invited her, why don't you stay long term? We have an extra room stay long term with us. By the time they got to this party, she pulled them aside and she pulled Ernie aside and whispered to him and she said, do you know that I am pregnant? And he said, yes I do. They had, they had picked up on this. She was early on in her pregnancy but he and his wife had picked up on the fact that she was with child. And she said to him, does this change anything? And he looked at her and said, no, it doesn't. (laughs) Up until that point, Janina was desperate. She had one level of desperation of, I'm alone without my family, but she had another level of desperation, which was, I'm carrying a child. I'm here in a Fulbright scholarship. My classmates and my friends and acquaintances are pressuring me to terminate the pregnancy, to, to, to end this child's life so that my future, my bright future as a Bolivian Fulbright scholar, isn't harmed. They're telling me to think about myself to end this pregnancy. And she was between a rock and a hard place and not knowing what she would do. She was invited into this Anglican congregation that loved Jesus. She was invited into a home with a spare bed, In a table, in the simple gifts of a of a Christian home. She was invited into parties, she was invited into love. She saw the real Jesus in this community. She experienced the love of the Son of God flowing through this community. And she couldn't help but love Jesus in response and embrace him in response to his active embrace. I talked with Janina because her congregation was connected to our Washington D.C. congregation, and um, I was actually giving her and her child a ride along with Gus and Sammy, and we were driving. and I was asking her about her story. I knew the story up to this point, and she had uh, had her her, um, uh, her baby named Salma, and uh, she. I said, "What is it? What was it like to go through this?" And she said, "She said, Aaron, my family in Bolivia doesn't believe." what I've been through they don't believe it when I tell them what this congregation has done for me when I tell them about people opening their home for me when I tell them about people um, inviting me into their life um, and uh, feeding me housing me and showing me love and care they don't believe it she had grown up with some Christian ideas but she had not experienced the Christian reality until she found it alive and pulsating in a local Christian congregation a local Anglican church plant, willing to offer up the simple gifts of hospitality in the name of Jesus with no expectation in return, without any kind of abuse or manipulation in the process. The vision of our church, this church, Emmanuel Anglican Church, is to lift high the Son of God in the city of Chicago that all would be drawn to Him. And we haven't talked about that for a long time. We've been We've had many things to focus on, but we've always got to go back to this vision that we are called to put the love and beauty and authority of Christ on display for our city so that all would be drawn into the person of Christ and be changed and be healed and be completed and be refreshed just as we are every week. We carry this vision out, yes, on Sundays when we gather for worship. Christ is put on display and he is put on display with his own power. And we come away refreshed and changed and renewed. But it is also part of our vision that Monday through Saturday, in our normal everyday life, we are putting him on display as well. Um, not in a way that is obnoxious, not in a way that is manipulative, not in a way where we have an axe to grind, but simply out of an overflow of Christ showing us his love, refreshing us with his love, we are putting the simple Jesus on display so that others, our friends, our neighbors, can interact with him, can know him, can explore the claims of Christianity, and be nourished by Christ just as we are nourished by Christ. That can happen. All you need is a little bit of extra food and an extra chair at your table, and potentially even an extra bed or a floor to sleep on. A lot of us underestimate the power of hospitality. But let me tell you something. Hospitality is nothing less than the love of Christ put on display. And a lot of times it has such a profound impact on people that years and years after you've opened your home to them, they remember They remember what was communicated to them, not even necessarily through words, but simply through your open heart And your open table and your open spare bed. That has a profound impact on people. When you open your when you open up uh, your life to people who need a place to eat, maybe they already have a place to eat at their own home, but you're providing a family for them. Whether or not you are married or single or have kids or don't have kids, in any situation, if you have an opportunity to open up your home in hospitality. It is one of the ways that Christ is lifted high in such a way that people can interact with not the fake Jesus, not the conjured Jesus, but the real Jesus. This is not something that we innovated um, for marketing purposes for our church. Uh, This is simply the way of Jesus. The early church, uh, after Jesus uh, was crucified to bear the sins of the world and was raised to life, The early church began practicing hospitality because they recognized it as like one step beyond uh, loving Christ was loving others with the love of Christ. And so um, historians found a letter that was written in the second century A.D., just a few years after Jesus uh, ascended to the Father. And uh, this letter describes uh, the author's experience with early Christians. And he says this about the early church. For the Christians are distinguished from other men neither by country nor language nor the customs which they observe. They inhabit Greek as well as barbarian cities according as the lot each of them has determined. And following the customs of the natives in respect to clothing and food and the rest of their ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries but simply as sojourners. Basically what he's saying is they haven't house themselves off into a a Christian enclave, but they live in cities like everybody else with customs that are common to their culture. As citizens, they share all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do all the others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. And that was a common practice in that day. Listen to this. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are are lack in all things, yet abound in all. One of the reasons that the early church grew so quickly... Um, is because it committed itself to simply putting the love of Christ on display through hospitality. It didn't grow because of grandiose plans. It didn't grow because of fancy marketing. It didn't grow through tricks. The early church grew because they displayed the love of Jesus. And in many cases, they displayed the love of Jesus to the people that no one else would love. There was a plague that swept through the Roman Empire at one point, and some of the only people to offer hospitality and medical care to those who were dying of the plague were Christians. Many lives were saved, and many lives were blessed by the Lord simply because Christians were not afraid to welcome in the stranger. One of the guiding documents that the early church had in the ways of hospitality was what we have in front of us, the letter to the Romans, written by Paul. We're going to be in this text for the next two weeks. These are the last two weeks in this series on friendship and hospitality. Um, This week, I want to look at three qualities of Christian hospitality as laid out in uh, the epistle to the Romans. The first quality of Christian hospitality is that it is genuine, not gimmicky. Christian hospitality is genuine. It's not a gimmick. Um, a, a gimmick is a, is a bait and hook technique that appeals to the lower instincts of others. And, and it quickly turns into, I actually have been doing this because I really want something from you. It, so it quickly turns into, it's an offering of something cool and good and the best deal you've ever seen, but it quickly turns into a hard sell. That's what a gimmick is. A gimmick uses fine print and smoke and mirrors to win people over, um, so that you can get something from them. A gimmick triggers emotions, uh, yet is unworthy of an emotional response. It triggers emo—it's like clickbait, you know—the the 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 many things that you know you see coming across your Facebook newsfeed of like, you know, these two children took out a stick, and you'll never believe what happened next. Um, and you click on it and you're like, you're manipulating my emotions through this video and yet this is unworthy of an, an emotional response. It's kitsch. That's what kitsch is. Kitsch is a gimmick, is smoke and mirrors, is manipulation. It's empty on the inside and beautiful on the outside. A gimmick seeks commitment but is truly unworthy of commitment. And the fact is that uh, we are, we've had to develop a filter so that we can recognize a gimmick for, for what it is. When we see an offer uh, on the radio, on a billboard, in our inbox, it's too good to be true, we have to, we have to go, oh, okay, that is a too good to be true gimmick, and they're out for my information, my credit card number, um, and, and then they're going to get me. And um, uh, Christian hospitality is different. Christian hospitality is the genuine display of the love of Christ through food, conversation, and sometimes an overnight stay. It is never a means to an end whereby we earn favors for ourselves or take advantage of our guests. It's never a means to an end. That would be a gimmick. Instead, it is the love of Christ joyfully and willingly poured out for our friends and neighbors with the power of Christ and with the love of Christ. We put that love on display when we open our tables and open our homes. Let's read together verses 9 through 15 of Romans 12. let these words wake your imagination to what our community would look like if we begin to prayerfully receive these encouragements. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly and sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There are a lot of commands here, but what I see in a theme in this text is a genuine openness around a meal, in a meal context, to the stranger and to our fellow brothers and sisters. Uh, Christian hospitality flourishes when our hearts are open to our guests. We are willing to connect with them, and we're willing to become relationally invested in their life. Um, Their lives might bring us joy, and their lives might cause us to weep. Love is genuine, as verse 9 says. It leads to brotherly affection in verse 10, brotherly and sisterly affection. In verse 15, it causes us to both weep or rejoice, depending on the life circumstances of the people that we've welcomed into our home. Um, So it is the openness of the heart, it is the openness of the hearth. Um, Listen, if we we weep with those who weep, um, we are listening to them, we are listening with empathy we are uh, asking them follow-up questions and um, even imagining what it's like to be them. If we're rejoicing with them, we're actually in some cases putting aside our own grief, not because we're repudiating it or because we're hiding it, but simply because we are entering the world of somebody else whose story we are open to, curious about, and interested in. And we're doing so around a table and a meal that is offered up in the name of Jesus. Who in our city will do this? Who in our city will open up their home and their table to someone they can't get anything from and simply listen to them and ask them about their life and even share about your own life and to do so in a way um, that's not trying to win them over or gain points or gain status? This is truly a gift from the church to the people of the city that houses the church. We're going to have our next sermon series is going to be called Praying the Psalms. And uh, one of the things I was struck by in my study week is, uh, is how uh, seriously over the centuries the church has been able to offer itself up uh, to its friends and neighbors in a way that is truly pastoral, but yet at the same time connected to the ancient prayers of the church. The Psalms have always been a resource for the church, to pray, to express its own emotions, but also to pray with those who have no one to weep with them and no one to rejoice with them. And so my hope for the next sermon series is that we learn to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice in a way that is truly genuine and truly open so that no matter what comes through our door on Sunday or Monday through Saturday, or maybe Sunday afternoon because we all like to go to lunch together, that we have the resources of the psalm book, the the Christian song book, the Psalms, and we have learned as a community to pray and to yearn with this, with this prayer book and to pray and yearn with people who need someone to listen with them and to be with them. What if we could be a community like that? As, as people are find their way into Emmanuel and, and need a family, it would be truly amazing. We would offer to people the love of Christ in a way that's genuine. So it's genuine and not gimmicky. That's the first quality of Christian hospitality. The second quality is that it is imperfect, not airbrushed. It's imperfect, not airbrushed. Let's read verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. And not live in harmony around one another. If you're really with people, it's warts and all, my friends. Live in harmony with one another. Um, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Um, We are often airbrushing ourselves, editing our own lives through social media. You know what, I use social media, and it's not like it's some bad thing, but let's recognize what we're doing when we're posting our pictures and posting our status updates. We are putting forward, in many cases, the best possible picture of our life. The biggest adventures that literally blow our minds. the, the, uh, the uh, adventures and sh- images and videos that make our lives seem more exciting and more beautiful and more interesting than they actually are. We are marketing ourselves in many cases, and it's a lie a lot of the times. Maybe it's not a malicious lie, but it is a highly edited version of who we are. Our social media presence and our real life, there is a gap between those two things. Sometimes the gap is huge, Sometimes the gap is small, but there is a gap. Um, we got to let that go, and by that I don't mean stop using social media, but I do mean offer up imperfect hospitality, which will subvert our desire to market ourselves to create envy within in the eyes of others who want to be as awesome as we are. Um, because when you host, you are imperfect. Um, your home is imperfect and your guests are imperfect. And we've got to get over ourselves if we're going to offer up genuine Christian hospitality. We've got to get over our desire to be seen as awesome and perfect and beautiful and highly edited when we offer up hospitality. Hospitality is different than entertaining in the sense that it's not a contest for for strength, for beauty, for good taste, for outdoing ourselves. Our blemishes will get shown and be on display. Our possessions and our faults will be open to the scrutiny of others. Our parenting style will be open to the judgment of others when we offer up our hospitality. Um, If we would regularly do this, we've got to be willing to say, come, this is how we live. And we're ordering a bucket of KFC so that you can come over and just hang out with me at my table. But this is how I live. Sure, we clean up, but it is not a contest. It is not putting our best foot forward. When we live in harmony with one another, as verse 16 says, when we are not haughty but associate with the lowly, when we're not conceited, it's not so much that we're trying to have a humble heart, although that's important, but we have a new freedom. We have a new freedom. If we don't have to be awesome... We have a new freedom to welcome in people into our imperfection more often than we would. It's a new opportunity to love people. It's a new opportunity to put the love of Christ on display in its simplicity without any pressure to market ourselves. Um, The early church and the current church is at its best when it's offering hospitality to the people who are vulnerable to injustice and exploitation At its best, when we're offering up hospitality to the powerless, to the poor, to the widow, to the fatherless, and the elderly, and those who are pregnant, and those who have terminated their pregnancy and they're locked up in guilt, need to hear about the love of Christ, to those um, who offer us no value to our social mix, Um, no advantage, people who bring in awkwardness, people who bring in need, that's the church at its best. It's the love of Christ, imperfect in appearance but very effective. I was thinking of a fire hose and how if you, uh, if you look at the fire hoses that are uh, hanging up in the firehouses around Chicago, they're big, industrial-sized, you know, rough-and-tumble fire hoses, but they're, they've got huge openings, and they get the job done. They don't look pretty, but they're incredibly powerful. And that's what Christian hospitality sometimes looks like, many times looks like. It's imperfect, it's not grandiose, it's not necessarily beautiful, but it is powerful. So number one, it's genuine, not a gimmick. Number two, it's, I've got to look at my notes, it's imperfect. Number three, it is pursuing, not passive. It's pursuing, it's not passive. Let's read again verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The word seek to show hospitality uh, is the same word uh, that is often uses, uh, used uh, in uh, in the writings of the New Testament to describe uh, pursuing someone, hunting somebody down, and in some cases, uh, persecuting. So um, the... the uh, One form of this verb Paul used to describe his relationship to the early church before he became a Christian. So he was persecuting them. He was hunting them down, looking for them. um, And he's using the same word, although a slightly different meaning, to describe how you find people that you're going to show hospitality to. You have to find people. Um, Just to underline this point, let's look at the last two verses of our text, verses 20 and 21. To the contrary... Says instead of getting vengeance, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If you're, uh, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This text is suggesting that we're showing hospitality even to our enemy, which is incredibly bold incredibly active, and even there's this element of surprise. There's this element of, wow, I wasn't even expecting that. But no, okay, we're enemies, and yet I'm inviting you around my table. I'm creating a Psalm 23 moment for you, even though you hate me, even though you're opposed to me. I want to dine with you, and I want to offer you grace. Um, Hospitality is a symbol of God's aggressive love, of God's pursuing love. Um, it's used by people who seek out and find and go into places that need it. Similarly to the fire hose. The fire hose does not wait for the fire to come to it. It finds the fire and offers the healing water that can stop the fire and bring life and vitality and rescue to a situation. Um, And this takes an open heart. It takes for praying for and watching for opportunities that come our way. I read recently of a story of... um, a couple that, uh, that attends our, our sending church, Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton. The names are Jim and Margaret Bell. And um, uh, uh, Jim tells the story of how, like, over the last decade, God has just, by his spirit, opened their hearts up to offering hospitality to the stranger. And they have found a way to do that simply through World Relief. They simply told World Relief, hey, we're willing. And they said, okay, when we have refugees coming in, we'll let you know. And we just want you to house them and feed them for as long as you have the opportunity to do that. And so he tells the story of um, after September 11th, there were some Afghani refugees that came in. Five Afghani ladies and a two-year-old boy named Faisal stayed in their home for three weeks. Um, And uh, World Release staff, he said, would just pick them up from the airport and deliver them to their door. Because, he says, we had never interacted with refugees before, we were understandably nervous, as I would be as well. Um, but World Relief assured us that their staff would be in touch with them. When the refugee family arrived at, uh, at our door, one of them, Nasrim, was able to speak passable English and explain their situation. And here's what happened before they arrived at the Bell's house. There were four ladies in their 30s and an older woman. The older woman's, son, uh, the older woman's husband, son, and son-in-law had opposed the Taliban when the latter had set up their camps prior to September 11th and had been killed in the fighting. So the daughter and daughter-in-law plus two unmarried daughters and grandson were put in a refugee camp in Pakistan. They flew to New York after being given uh, a written certificate as official refugees, but then at the airport they were turned away because the day they came was September eleventh, two 2001. So during their three-week stay in their house, let's say they eventually arrived at the Bell's house they spent a lot of time in their single room together, but they gradually opened up and ate with them and tried to communicate. Um, they took them to an Afghan grocery store, got Afghani groceries, and they even, um, they, they even found a way so that these women could cook on their floors. They're, like, cleaning the floors because the women really wanted to cook on their floors and make some authentic Afghani food. And, it, and apparently it was um, incredibly spicy, but also delicious. Um, they talked with them about the love of Christ on the prairie path, walking with them on the prairie path. And they, they even when Christmas came around, um, they invited him into their home again. Uh, they came for a visit. They exchanged presents, um, including a fire truck for Faisal. Here's what Jim says in closing. Opening your homes to strangers is not that big of a deal if you have a heart for those who have nothing and virtually know no one. Even with a language barrier, your demonstration of care and acceptance will communicate love, love, the one language that transcends all others. Now let me just say this. When we come here to worship on Sundays, we experience the love of Christ in a way we don't even know how to put it into words sometimes. We just come away feeling loved. Christ found a way to love us. He's welcomed us into his home, and he's nourished us, and he's fed us, and he's been united with us. And that changes us. It's powerful. It communicates to us. That's how we're made. We're designed to hear the language of love. We're designed to receive it in verbal and nonverbal ways. Friend, I want to encourage you that you have an opportunity to see and witness other people in this city, whether they're Afghani refugees or people in this church or your next door neighbor, people that you share a culture with, people that you don't share a culture with, You have an opportunity for people inside and outside the kingdom of God to experience the love of Christ in ways that sometimes are verbal, sometimes are nonverbal. It is more powerful than you would ever expect. My prayer is that our community, not out of guilt and shame, but out of an overflow of the love of Christ, offers hospitality to people that is genuine, that is imperfect, and that is pursuing That is true and good and beautiful, and that is the love of Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.